All right, y'all. I got off with Tucker C. Uh, great dude, man. Uh, I know that a lot of you see me and him kind of interact on social media. We're really good friends um, off the Twitterverse, off the Strength Twitterverse. Um, but I do want to say he brought in a lot of great uh, thoughts and great just talks about youth athletic development, long-term athletic development, um, things that he's going to be implementing in his thought process and um, uh, thoughts about athletic quality movements. And we got to shout out a lot of good people that are doing a lot of good work um, out there in the strength versus speed and agility and all that great, wonderful stuff. Great person. Um, we got to talk a little bit about dad management. I know that um, some people know me and him as kind of like that dad people. We like our numbers. Um, you might be some shocked by some of the talks that we had about data, like um, how collecting data could be just mindless. So um, if you want to learn more about that, of course, continue on with this podcast and enjoy the podcast with Tucker C. A uh, couple of things before we get going off of here. Uh, definitely want to talk about our new sponsor, which is the Working Dog Coffee. Okay. This is from Brennan Sweeney down in uh, North Carolina. Uh, has a coffee has, has a coffee um, company down there, and um, something about that company is is that you know there's so many people I know that mindlessly consume coffee through disturbing products on the market, and the solution we have. Is offering an organic coffee that doesn't have any of the nasty side effects. That's a poorly regulated energy drink. The products, the only products you'll need on the label are 100% organic coffee with organic flavoring. Our two flavors, which is the Mal and the Burner, are a great mix of a high caffeine product and a classic Colombian favorite blend for coffee drinkers. You can use the code CHATS for 15% off, and every bag you buy will help support Working Dogs charities around the country. Again, that is code CHATS for the coffee. Now, also, we have to talk about the other sponsor of this podcast. What's the other sponsor for this podcast? You can believe it. It is Team Builder. So let's talk about Team Builder. Team Builder is the software for performance coaches around the world. Their powerhouse platform provides coaches with an elevated experience when it comes to program development, data tracking, and staying connected with athletes and clients. Team Builder is full of tools that coaches need, like multiple max training methods, 16 plus reports, evaluation testing, and goal setting, to name a few. Coaches also have access to consultations with Team Builders and House Sports Scientists to help manage and analyze data. Head to teambuilder.com and sign up with the promo code CONJUGATE to receive a 30-day free trial as well as a 52-week football workout program. Enjoy this episode of the Conjugate Chats. And welcome back to another episode of the Conjugate Chats. It is, again, uh, Monday morning, um, December 18th. And I've been still in the studio. I've been here since like 8.30 talking to Andrew Reverdy and then coming up with uh, another uh, great episode for y'all as well. Uh, I have on today someone that's an upcoming strength coach. Um, kind of already made his stamp into strength and conditioning, um, especially at the middle school long term athletic development model that he's been recently diving deep more into. He's also a freak in the Google Sheets. Uh that is Tucker C. Tucker, um, welcome back to the Conjugate Chats. You were on for season three and then um I guess the audio whatever for whatever reason that got like trash and then uh we had to re record and it almost took like six months to re record and then 
but we're here. Uh, it's awesome to have you all, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, JM. Uh, I'm glad to be back, and you know, hopefully this time, you know, audio checks out to be a little different. But yeah, I'm glad to be here and just excited for whatever we end up talking about. Yeah, man. I think the first time around, we talked a lot about middle school development. We talked a lot about like, um, not necessarily sports science, but um, diving deep into how like we collect data and then what do we use with that data. We talked a little bit about GPS talk and. Um, I think that's something that we both have kind of advanced in as time has went on, especially from the first time that we recorded into now. Yeah, I think that's exactly what we were talking about. Um, it's interesting that you say that. My brain's kind of spinning. Um, but I think I was answering Iron Speed Chats the other night, and this is kind of where it comes to mind. But data collection there's a question on like kpis metrics and what you're measuring so i've kind of went away from everything that i was collecting um and decided that you know at the end of the day like with the kpi like and the reason that i track is like i want an effort for my athletes so i was like okay how about i dive into my kpi so all right well my number one kpi for my teams that are on the field is sprinting all right so how about I look at my data, but if I'm just looking at sprinting data and I'm talking max velocity, well, they're not going to PR every week. So I need a way of tracking that and looking at the percent of their best effort. So it's like if their best sprint's a 20 mile an hour and they run 19, well, what percent is that um, of it? So track it in that sense. So I kind of like formulated different ways that I was looking at the effort, kind of thinking like Charlie Francis and everything, how he talks about like greater than 95 is a good sprint effort. Um, anything below that, it's not speed training. So kind of formulated like the KPIs and collecting into that model um, and kind of looked at how it changed throughout the season. Um, I don't know, Peter Noonan's uh, Iron Speed Chats kind of got my brain thinking about that. Um, I mean, yeah. I agree with that, man. And uh, I was talking to Andrew Ravity as well before we were on, and um, he was just talking about, like, you know, we're always changing kind of like a stimulus when it comes to things like mass velocity or if we're in the weight room, right, we're, we're trying to trace a strength stimulus. And, you know, kind of mentioned in there is like, well, we're for athletic development and for our athletic movements, change of direction, XL, decel, most of these are submaximal. But we want to chase that stimulus at the very top. So, it, you know, because we want to reach max velocity at their certain threshold, it's not about if we can run 20, 21, 22 miles an hour. It's can we consistently hit 17, 18, possibly even 19, and be able to keep those bouts in between within our sports? Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I mean, even just thinking about max velocity sprinting, there's a lot of times with football, which is who I have a lot of data on with football. You know, there's times where our team average was an intensity of like 93% and we were sitting there for a little bit. And like, even just looking at that and looking at the stimulus, I was like, okay, well, we've rather hit a plateau where the training no longer actually reflects what I'm trying to achieve. So I need to change something up. Um, and, you know, even changing, you know, the program up for our in-season speed training, you know, figuring out what worked um, after that plateau was helpful because of how I collected data in the sense of, all right, I need to be hitting above 95% for that stimulus. How do I get there? So putting the plan together reflected everything that I collected before. Um, and that's, I think that's the, what we're trying to get out of KPIs too. Um, if we're looking at, KPIs like and our training, but we have a goal. We don't want the goal to be noisy because if it's noisy, well, we're probably not going to hit the stimulus. If it's a noisy stimulus, then you know we're trying to hit a bunch of different things at one time. We're not going to be able to hit the one thing that we really actually want to hit. Um, so that's a lot of where I've kind of went with Google Sheets is how can I help my data. Or how can I look at my data to reflect what's going on in my programming, um, especially towards my KPIs? And I think that's helpful uh, for your sport coaches as well to uh, 
know exactly what exactly is going on in our program. Uh, I'm working with our softball and volleyball teams, and I've kind of used that to show our head softball and volleyball coach, because she's the same person for both sports, and say, look, this is where we're at right now. Here's some goals that we could see. You know, based on normative data, um, girls between, you know, 14 to 17, 18 years old that are playing these sports, here's the kind of normative for some of those uh, straight numbers and our 10-yard flies and our, you know, back-end 10-yard flies, broad jumps, vertical jumps, that sort of thing. And, you know, it can really shine some light about what exactly do we need to focus in for each athlete. Mm-hmm. So if you really want to call it, like, individual training or individualized training, I view it as, well, we're good in this metric. We're good at bat squats. We're good with tri-bar deadlifts, but we're weaker in horizontal and vertical jumps. Let's prioritize vertical and horizontal jumps more than just tracing a strength stimulus that's already there. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think that with our KPIs and chasing stimulus and the way that you're talking about it right now, and you know, you're trying to pinpoint like what we're not good at, um, which is also what I like to do with my data too. I mean, I think with anytime you're collecting data, you don't need to collect data for the sake of collecting data because then you just have a sheet full of numbers that you have no clue what anything means. Um, so if you're not looking at your data and trying to assess, all right, where are we at to actually increase performance on the field? Um, or maybe there's something in the weight room that can transfer to sport. Um, like, you know, maybe it's like your horizontal, horizontal or vertical, uh, jumps. Um, like if you, if you aren't seeing any of that in your data, um, reflecting your training, well, then, you know, Hey, let's switch something up. It needs to be changed because I need to hit that stimulus because now I'm actually not training what I said I've been training. I've been training something else. Um, so, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, there's, there's power to data. There's power to data and just being able to see it over time and trends that are happening in your own programming to evaluate yourself. Trends are an important part of our, part of our training as well, man. You know, if we are progressively getting better at certain movements, say, okay, why are we getting better at certain movements? Is it something that we're doing? Is it something that, you know, they're doing in their sport? Because I know that, um, especially for our softball girls, I mean, they do a lot of rotational stuff. So if we measured, uh, we were just talking before, you know, having a radar gun and, you know, tracking how fast they're moving med balls at the same weight and everything like that, even though they've, rotated and rotated and rotated several times like yeah that they're going to get better at certain things like rotational side throws or anything like that um but also can show us where we need to put more emphasis on again the weak points as well um but i do like your point as well that we don't need to track data just for the sake of tracking data um you know i did that um i'll be honest with you i did it with our football team in season tracked everything from every single session and, you know, got pissed that, you know, I only got like 50% of the football team to actually put under numbers and everything like that, man. I mean, I got red in the face and everything like that. And as soon as we got the playoff time and I was seeing them about one or tw- twice a week, I said, do I really need all these numbers every single day? Because I have a sheet that's like 5,000 cells worth of data. I'm like, this is just a nightmare for my own sake. So do I need to track every little thing every little day? No. No. If you want to do it, like, and it was in the IRSP chat, like sprints, sprints we're going to track almost weekly. Um, you know, 10-yard flies or with a 5 build or 10-yard flies with a 40 build, whatever. Like some of those things, yeah. But to measure if we're having sub-national strength every single session, I mean, that's, that's getting to a point where it's almost tedious. Yeah, I agree. I uh, remember so this summer for our football team, I started collecting, you know, like a, a readiness score, a like how much weight they're lifting. And we use APRE, so like weights were different all the time. Um, and I was just like, do I really need to see all this stuff all the time? 
absolutely not. Like football team's about to transition to being on the field. So let's look at something where we're on the field. And then it like I brought it down to all right, what are the things that make a good football player? Acceleration and some kind of game speed metric. Um, whether you're using like Tony Villani's like 180 or his roll 90 um, and max velocity for any kind of athlete that, you know, great separation, catches a pass, especially wide receivers, and they have the ability to break away. Um, and I was like, once I started just only on those three, I was like, okay, well, these kind of indicate like my best, my best 11 guys. All right. None of this weight room stuff has shown me my best 11 guys. Sure, the weight room has amplified what they're able to do on the field. But if I'm looking at the best 11 guys, my top accelerators, my better athletes at the roll 90, and my top speed <laughs> metric, like, it's going to reflect it. So I've gotten to the point where I'm like you. I'm like, just give me the data that matters. I don't want to see anything that's noisy i don't want to collect anything that i don't really care about um or i don't think is important for the sport now if i had like if i was tracking vbt all the time um, and we have vbt units where i'm at but if i was tracking vbt all the time then i would be collecting a little bit more data because you know i'm trying to you know auto-regulate for the athlete and i'm also you know looking at the muscle qualities that you can have or the velocity zones that you'll be in um and i can pinpoint things and then i can help develop the athlete more around to have a little bit more transfer um like those are the things that I, i've decided it's like if i'm collecting anything it's going to be velocity zones it's going to be acceleration some kind of game speed metric and top speed um and then heck throw some kind of curve linear in there as well because i think that's very important too. Um, yeah, so I'm with you. Yeah, man, I, I don't know. I just, you know, I got I sit there and think about, like, if we're just busting down a bunch of weight in the, in, in the weight room, and, you know, I always go back to this example because I think about, you know, that you got that one athlete, that one football player that can squat five, 600 pounds, that can bench the house, whatever, but put them on the football field with pads and tell them to make an open field tackle, and then, they're not going to do it because they're, they don't possess the athletic qualities. And, you know, I, I go back to that example all the time because when we're in the weight room and, you know, our, and our coaches do a great job of, like, emphasizing, like, you need to get stronger. You need to get more powerful. But on the other side of that coin, you know, that's not all the athletic development. And I, I mentioned it on Twitter as well. It's like it's only a part of the equation. It's not the entirety of the athletic development for athletes. Right, it enhances our qualities. Right, try to go run the 100, and your hamstrings are strong enough to withstand multiple bouts of 100s. Try that. I mean, you got you got to strengthen up your muscles in order to withstand certain demands of your sport. But it's not the only thing, and I think that's where a lot—not a lot, but maybe some coaches kind of get twisted. Like, yeah, we can squat the the house, whatever, but can we change direction on a dime? Can we accelerate? in the shortest amount of time possible. Can we decelerate at a good rate so our we don't have blown out knees or hamstrings or hips or whatever? So and that just makes me think about one thing that strength coaches need to possess and that thing that we need to possess is considering every aspect of athletics. You know, we think about or a good strength coach will think about, hey, okay, we have the weight room, but then we have the field. Well, where does the athlete compete on? Doesn't compete in the weight room unless if it's powerlifting or weightlifting. He's on the field. Okay, so the things I need to prioritize are going to be things that are on the field. Um, so like all those athletic qualities you're talking about, um, 100% with, change their direction. Uh, Decel included in that, you know, acceleration, uh, max velocity, but then also throw in the cognitive aspect that athletes also need to possess. I think that's another thing that strength conditioning coaches are starting to 
get more into um like seeing the side uh seeing the usage of small-sided games um like there is something unique that happens you know when you're doing true agility drills but you throw in the small-sided games which is some agility involved and you have that cognitive aspect but then you get to the point to where you can see what athletes can perform and can transfer the stuff from weight room from your on-field stuff like with change of direction uh when you that's where you see it all meet like if you're using small-sided games as a strength coach like you're ahead of the curve because you're training athletes you're not training just a weight room guy um and there's a lot that goes into it and that uh, that's also part of the long-term athletic development process like you got to think about how the kids perceive how they just sense stuff and how they can process things um we we got to include processing skills into what we do as strength coaches as well um because then that's how we help the athletes be able to transfer what we've been working on from the weight room and on the field work as well um yeah man and i think about i go back to the beginning of this conversation you know those small side games let's take tag for example right so we just say two people are in go tag i mean look at the qualities of just the game of tag you're accelerating you're decelerating and you're thinking on the fly and those three qualities with itself are qualities that a lot of not just football players but athletes make on the field you make a cut you make a jump you do this you do that you know you're in open field that's another thing too you know i know there's a time and place and everything for close chain drills you know we have certain movements that we want to enhance but there's something about open chain games drills that you know athletes have to figure out in this open space like they do on the football field, on the soccer field, on whatever basketball court, whatever, they have to cognitively think about what they're doing and make a decision on the fly. And that is another athletic quality that we don't really get to see or really talk about as much anymore. And and you were talking about like, yes, we're working on agility as well with these small-sided games. And all these small-sided games are sub-maximal as well. You know, we're not hitting top speed. But we are changing direction. We're doing a lot of athletic quality movements during those times. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the way I see it is we have to train the cognitive aspect. Um, We train the change of direction to build a capacity to perform. Um, Because... If you think about injuries, and as a strength coach, we need to think about injuries. A lot of injuries happen because of misplaced misplaced angles of some kind of limb, whether that be your foot. Heck, it could be you falling with your arm. So, for example, you need tumbling. How about you learn how to actually fall out of that force? Um, We have to train our brain in a sense of preparation to where we are not ill-prepared. So I've recently read um, Eight Vector System. Um, It's Nick DeMarco. I I can't pronounce um, the other author's name, but um, Elon, um, Sports Performance. Uh, And the book kind of goes into like what their aerobic days kind of look like. And it's like a capacity for change of direction on some of it. Um, and it's building up the tolerance and the tissue tolerance to be able to withstand different just angles. Um, and it's building a robust um, just directions that you can move in with your body. Um, but then it goes into like all the small sided games too. Um, and I agree with it completely because I think that our our body is pretty smart um, and an athlete's pretty smart, um, especially when they have just like a reflexive decision making. But if we don't ever give the athlete the bandwidth to figure out, okay, I step at a 45 degree angle, but what if my foot's turned in a little bit? Um, well, 
how how does my body withstand that? Like if they've never experienced that, they're probably going to break. But if they've experienced it in some kind of bandwidth, then, then they're probably not. So, and I think that where the small sided games comes into that is it's the it's the coupling of what we've trained our athletes to learn and the movement bandwidth we've given them, and then also that open chain that you're talking about in a sense of, okay, we take the open chain, we take that capacity we've built, we put it together, and what we end up with is chaos. But the chaos is is sports. I mean, sport is chaotic. So we need to train in a controlled chaos environment. So we need to use small-sided games because we need a processing component for everything that we do in athletics. And as a strength coach, we need to have a controlled chaos component, especially with on-field development, because I want better athletes. I don't want the guy that we were talking about earlier is in the weight room squatting 500 pounds, but then he goes out to the field, doesn't know how to move his body in space. Um, heck, hopefully that made sense. Um, my brain's spiraling on just processing right now. Yeah, and uh, I want to say this as well. Those so those small side of games are also what we call subconscious as well. So subconsciously, they're learning what we want them to learn. And again, like you said, the body's smart enough, and the athletes are smart enough to kind of adapt to what we're trying to accomplish for them. They might not realize it because it's subconscious, right? But let's say, for example, we do a covered linear run, right? We just weave in and out. So you know, just going almost in that snake motion. I mean, how many times have we seen that, like a running back has to make that kind of curve and go and, you know, just change direction or hit a hole or something like that? I mean, again, that is a subconscious decision that athletes have to make, but we can put them in environments so they can make that decision before they even step on the field. Yeah, 100%. Um, we need to provide those environments. Um, heck, even just think about it right now um, as you're talking. Like, I think about Patrick Mahomes um, and the ways that his body can move. Um, and I've listened to Bobby Shroop a bunch um, through, like, TFC. Um, but when I listen to Bobby Shroop talk, it's like such a – he's trying to provide the bandwidth neurologically for Patrick to subconsciously move. Like I think about like some of the ways he's like heck, for instance, one that's coming to mind is like he hit like 17, 18 miles an hour on a curve, like on an S curve. Just and like and I think it was like only like a 10 yard distance, but he was like flying. Um I think about like the ways that he makes like his body bend to throw the football. Um, like he's been trained in those positions, but also his body's doing it subconsciously. Like there, there's a lot to providing a neurological like bandwidth for our bodies to subconsciously do it when we're reacting. Um, that's also, it's like the ways we get there though, is we got to train our body in all sorts of different directions and we also have to add the stimulus to where I'm reacting to, though. Um, so it's like, but before that, we always have to do some kind of change of direction because we need that that capacity and we need that our bodies to actually understand. Like if I plant um, to go forward at a 135, I need to know what that feels like. If I plant at a 45 degree angle to go backwards, I need to know what that feels like. But break plant separate at 90 or if I do some kind of like roll step at 90. Um, like our bodies need to experience all these things, but as a strength coach, we got to provide that. And then once we've provided it, we have to add the intellect component because again, we're, we're part of the development process, regardless of what age group you have, but more so like if you are at the high school level, let alone the middle school level, like you have to provide some kind of bandwidth that our body is going to remember what a movement's like. Um, yeah, man, I love talking about incorporating like thought and thought and processing um, when it comes to athletics. 
like we can't live in it. We can't live in processing all the time. We we have to provide that base, um, and we have to do really well at providing a base uh, of training to prepare our body for change of direction and then change of direction up to agility, agility up to some more small-sided games. Um, yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, man, absolutely. And you talk about Patrick Mahomes, uh, the way that he moves on the field. I mean, it, it's incredible the positions that he's able to move in, you know, on the field. And I also thought about this as well, just watching him. And, you know, when you're a strength coach, you, you can't watch sports the same way anymore. You know, you can't just sit there and just watch it and enjoy the game. You you watch like every movement and it's like, oh, that, that, that's, uh, that's not a natural movement. Like, uh, you know, whatever, you know, and also you can recognize like really good movement. And when you can recognize really good movement is when you know that it's smooth. Like you're saying he's subconsciously hitting 17, you know, 18, 19 miles an hour on like 10 yards, but that's smooth. Like, it's not like a rough, like, Ooh, that, you know, it looks like he hasn't sprinted in like 10 years. It's, it's smooth. It it looks natural. Um, we had something like that for our volleyball, softball girls, um, 10 yard fly, five yard building. We had a girl run a one, three, three, and she looked like she was jogging, but in reality, she's running a one, three, three, and she's like flying. And the girl's like, man, that she looks like she's like jogging. She, she doesn't look like she's hitting dot speed. It's like one, she's not, but two, um, you know, She's accelerating at a pretty decent rate right now. So um, she should just have good good mechanics. You know, it's just one of those free athletes. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm excited to, uh, for. Just a, this, like, a little side note. It's like with, with football, I also coach football. Um, um, but with football, I've been with football, like, throughout the whole fall. Um, and I'm excited to get with our girl athletes in the spring for, like, their sprint training and stuff like that. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to see what they're capable um, of doing um, and the ways that they're going to be able to do it. Um, especially like our girls at our school, man, they are very much like workhorses. They love the weight room and, you know, they love competition. So there's like a few, like a group of them that kind of like started bringing the other one in. And it was like, hey, you got to get in here. And it's like build a pretty good culture. Um, so that's a little side note. Like, I'm really excited to see what some of our girls can do in flies. Um, but going back on, like, Bobby Stroop and Patrick Mahomes, like, and how a lot of that's subconsciously happening. It's like, I don't know. Have you have you ever listened to Bobby Stroop talk on anything? So, so, not, not like I should. Like, like. The, he's very like forward thinking. He's like people would say it's outside of the box, but I love how he thinks about things. Um, and like one of his biggest like values for like younger athletes is crawling, um, crawling, tumbling, um, figuring out how to move. And I think it's, I think that's just the gold mine of stuff right there. Is like if you get your younger athletes crawling, if you get even your high school athletes, like high school athletes still need to be crawling. They need to be tumbling. They need to be rocking as well. Like they need to experience that. Um, cause it's all part of the nervous system too. And heck remember nervous system per- perception goes in there as well. So perception and on the field, like low, sports we perceive things we react all the time so we need to be crawling to help our nervous system and it learn learns just to help our bodies learn how to move um and i think that also like with crawling it helps learn just new positions that your body can actually get into and actually do it pretty comfortably um yeah there i think with crawling though there's a there's a gold mine if you're training it oh for sure man and I mean, it's just one of those developmental movements that we need. Crawling, carrying. I don't see a whole lot of athletes really carry much anymore. And and I think that holds dividends later on. Um, You know, I used to test dead hangs for time until we get 
a little bit more in depth because we're doing chin-ups for max reps. I mean, that's basically a dead hang, just doing reps instead of time. And, um, I mean, I, I mean, it's just athletic quality that we need to train and uh, athletic quality that, you know, I think needs to start maybe even sooner than um, middle school, you know, teaching little kids how to crawl, how to do tumbling. Man, I remember growing up and I was in like a junior gymnastics class that taught very basic like tumbling, how to do a somersault, uh, how to do a round off, how to do, you know, certain tumbling movements. I mean, very, very basic movements. And um, I'm doing them right now at Dyer County. And, you know, there's some athletes that just don't know how to do some of these things. And to me, it blows my mind. But also, I look at, you know, the generation that they're in right now. Um, you know, they got these rounded shoulders due to, you know, a lot, a lot of time on their, on their phone, on screen or something like that. And, you know, part of me doesn't really blame them for having not knowing some of these movements as well because they just weren't raised that way or they were not brought up that way. One thing that I like do, um, but sometimes when I see like athletes that, you know, don't understand, all right, if I move my right hand, it could be running or if it's bear crawling or whatever it is, I'm moving my right hand. What, what foot am I supposed to use? Like the, those kids, like, like it kills me when I see it. Um, because I'm like, okay, well, somewhere like motor learning and like your development, like you, you might have skipped a step. And it's like, we need to be training these things because we don't know if an athlete, where they're truly at, motor, like with motor learning, like, do they skip crawling? Because that can happen. Like, if you skip crawling, go straight to walking, you actually never really learn how to move your right hand and your left foot together. Because um, crawling is like our first stage of that like placing like the left hand with the right foot um like little things like that like the where i see a lot of benefit for crawling and tumbling is like going back like I, i'm big into the nervous system um on like on training it in different ways but like crawling and learning patterns and coordination um through that so like figuring out like maybe how to go from like a like a bear crawl to like a crab position but like you have to take like your right hand off the ground left foot off the ground but then not only that you have to take your left foot underneath your body to flip instead of versus like going over top um like teaching that and like getting the body to coordinate in that way um and seeing our athletes do some of that stuff is it it's funny because it literally like breaks their brain. Like, I think that's also part of it. It's like you, you want the athlete to laugh at themselves while they're trying to learn how to do it. Because I mean, I want my training sessions to be fun. I don't want to be like a super big rah, rah guy. That's going to get like after you all the time. Like I want us to laugh. I want us to have fun um, and perceive it in a, in a positive light. But just seeing the athlete like laughing at themselves, like, and how uncoordinated they actually are it's it's quite interesting um the body's fascinating it's a very complex machine but it's awesome so it's also like a control movement as well for these like bear crawls like that because i mean i did it when i was growing up i mean you see a bear crawl and it's out of control man you, you know people are sitting there doing you know just some wild movements with their limbs um but you know i think it's more advantageous if we just take it back a little bit and learn like right foot, left foot, left foot, right foot, and understand like going forwards, going backwards. Not, you know, not only going, you know, just front, but learn how to go side to side, how to go backwards. Um, we're starting to do that with our girls and our guys right now uh, with our eight skip series. Can we skip backwards? Can you skip forwards? Can you skip laterally? And, you know, I, I mess up from time to time, especially on the, those lateral eight skips. I'm like, you know, it's, it's a hard movement to do. But, you know, that's why we do certain movements is to get better at those movements. That's why we do cartwheels and round offs and somersaults and backwards and all this other stuff. So we can get better at those, mo or at those movements. I, I remind our girls, I remind our guys all the time about that. It's like we are doing this so we can get better. 
not so we can look silly on you know the turf whatever and so that we can get better yeah uh this is a question for you um have you ever like paired crawling with like a skip like back to back um i for example like i haven't done it but i just recently was listening to a podcast with dan victor uh want to get fast is like his twitter name but talking about like taking the crawl and then do like whatever kind of like movement you're wanting to do and like how it kind of like will clean up the pattern a whole lot. Um, I, I don't know. I'm curious to see if you've ever done that. It's something I want to get into. That'd probably be something I would like to get into in the off season with especially our volleyball and our uh, football guys. But what I have done is a somersault into a sprint or a backward somersault into turn and go or uh, a cartwheel into a sprint. I've done that, and I think it really does kind of clean up some of those mechanics as well because athletes have to think, and they're not in the best advantageous spot to just sit there and run. They have to go through an uncomfortable motion or, or be in the position that's uncomfortable and then go, which is, I think, awesome. Yeah, I think it is too. I think um, kind of going into like a little bit of like, what my seventh and eighth graders do because I, I train them a lot. Um, when I say I train them a lot, I get them two times a week. Uh, eighth grade in the weight room, seventh grade, we're actually in a gym. So, like, that training kind of looks pretty unique. Um, but like the warm ups and everything, like, what I want to change about it is like, all right, yeah, we crawl in our program, we have some kind of crawl based movement. Um, if we're in the weight room, we have like a turf strip, so we might tumble a little bit with eighth grade. Um, but I want to get into like the crawling, but then I want to do like some kind of like speed drill into the, or like I want to go like forward bear crawl into straight leg skit. I want to go lateral bear crawl into lateral skits or things like that. Or I want to go like maybe tumble into a 10 yard acceleration like little things like that like in our warm-up um and just see like what ends up happening to like our patterns um it'd be really fun to watch at seventh grade because you know like they're still like getting coordinated learning rhythm um things like that but yeah crawling crawling just i think is super beneficial for everybody Absolutely, and it's kind of part of that one by twenty program that um, Doctor Yeesus, I believe, is that how you pronounce it? Yeesus, Yeesus, yeah, Yeesus. That's that's what it is. May he rest in peace, by the way. Um, and, you know that one by twenty program that you know we could put bear crawls because that's an essential part of athletic movement, and so is hinging and pulling and pressing and squatting and doing all those other things, um, which is really good for middle school development, by the way. That one by twenty program and the uh, you and I found out for myself and uh, Coach Loudon in our little group chat uh, figured that out pretty quickly. So, yeah, I I think one by twenty is. I think it depends how you use it. Um, I know that Loudon uses a lot, uses a lot, uses it a lot in the weight room. Um, I use like one by twenty in the weight room for off season program for football. Um, and off-season athletes, like, you come off a season, like, all right, we want to get healthy, so let's let's hit this. You know, we're going to get volume. Volume's going to be good for our joints. Also, if you sandwich it around the holiday season, you're getting extra calories, which is, like, a other benefit. Um, but I also use it with, like, seventh grade. Um, I know you know this, um, so does Loudon. But, like, I use it for seventh grade in the sense of we're only body weight in seventh grade. Um, so we're doing movements, you know, once at 20 reps, uh, twice a week. Like we're hitting the same exercises for twice a week in four cycles. We're adding two more exercises. Um, I can talk a little bit like on what the fall looked like. Uh, like our fall was like, we were always squatting in like in a body weight form um 
we did some kind of lunge, we did some kind of hinge, um, and then we did some kind of bracing, but bracing was like out of like a plank, different things. But I also like have added in, all right, what kind of locomotion patterns can I have for it? And then the other part of it is, all right, not only can I have locomotion, locomotion's like crawling for me um, when I'm talking about locomotion, or it could be some kind of skipping in some kind of funky pattern. Um, but other things like I've looked at is like play with like velocity, but like when I talk about velocity at seventh grade level, I'm talking about like the rhythm, like switching up the rhythm of movements. Um, and I'm about to get more like in the spring. That's actually where seventh grade's heading is like we're heading into like playing with rhythm. So like our squats are going to be like basically like two small pogo jumps, but drop into a squat and like figure out the rhythm. So it's like one, two, drop, one, two, drop, like figuring out that rhythm um, to go with it. And what I, like at the end of the day, that's like a, just a, some kind of like variation we've thrown on top to make it a little harder. Like, I mean, it's funny with seventh graders, they, they want to lift weights already. Um, and, you know, in my role, like it, it's virtually impossible to get seventh grade in the weight room. Also, I don't trust them enough to have them in the weight room. Um, I'll never earn the trust of a seventh grader um, to even do that. But uh, like they want to be in the weight room, but I'm like, I was like, yeah, but we got to master this first. Like you got to learn how to do it. You got to be super coordinated by the time we get in there. Um, and it's super fun. Like anyways, going back to the one by 20, like I had, um, so my first cycle started out with like 10 exercises then add two every four weeks. Like, and it, it also helps progressively overload. Like we're adding 40 more reps every four cycles. Um, and it's fun. And you can do all sorts of different things with seventh graders that um, keep them engaged. Like I'll break up whatever our session looks like for the day. And in the middle of it, we'll do some kind of like very basic small sided game, like playing like sharks and minnows. Like, yes, I'm considering that a small sided game. Like we'll do that. We'll have that cognitive development. Um, and they'll see the, so we'll hit like five exercises. We'll pause and go hit sharks and minnows for a little bit, come back. They had fun. They get really focused again and we'll do that again. And if we have time after we'll play like more small sided games. Um, but one by 20 for seventh graders is like, looks really interesting. Uh, it's really hard to describe like if you if you can't see like the program right in front of you um because you have to be super creative um with it especially when it's just body weight that's part of our job as well we have to be creative as coaches about how we direct these certain um philosophies and exercises and everything else in between because I talked about it with Andrew as well. It's because uh, every kid perceives instruction different. And, you know, you how you deliver your instruction is pretty crucial about how you deliver everything else. Right. So, you know, you can't sit on top of a rack or hang off a bar or anything like that and sit in there and just yell and scream and holler for the whiteboard and everything like that and think every single kid is going to get what you're trying to say because it's not going to happen. Um, I mean, I, I, I guess that's just with time, you understand how to deliver instruction well, um, you know, because the first time you try, it's like, all right, here we go. We got. We got this potentiation hole. We got this um, oscillatory squats that we're going to do with a three second down. We're going eccentrics with the trifacet training, you know, all the fancy words and kids are just going to get lost. And you're going to get pissed because they're lost. Because you're like, why do you not understand? And you got to realize they're like 15 years old or younger. You know, if you're doing middle school, they're 11. They don't know what, yeah, they don't know, understand what oscillatory means or post-activation potentiation or conjugate. They don't care. They don't care to know that stuff. They just want to get in, do the work sometimes, and get out. I think, um, yeah, I mean, that's... 100% like 
holds for middle schoolers. I mean, obviously, like, the program's not advanced at all. Like, we're not doing, like, triphasic. Um, but, like, things that I've learned from, like, seventh grade, especially seventh grade, you get them started as fast as you can. Um, but then when it comes to instructing, like, I got to be really good at the cues that I give them. But also at the same time, they're seventh graders. They're still learning. So why would I give them every single cue that they need? I need to let them discover for themselves what optimally works for them. Like, I can tell them to squat and force their knees out. But at the end of the day, they're not going to understand that. So why just tell them to do it? Like, no, I'm going to let them discover for themselves like exactly what they need. And I, I even take that kind of approach to eighth grade. Like my eighth graders are in the weight room. I give them the big cues that will keep them safe and effective. But like squatting to depth, like if we're squatting, I let them figure that out. I don't tell them exactly where to go. Like now if it's like super, super high and you're only moving like an inch, like, you know, the lingo baseball squat, like I'm going to tell you go a little lower, but like if you're somewhere around what I think is good, like I'm not saying anything to you. If, you know, you're doing some kind of hinge and you're doing it pretty good, but you know, I want a little bit more tension coming through your back. Um, just by like pulling the shoulder blades back or something like that. I'm probably not going to tell you if you're pretty close or right exactly where I want it. Um, I'm going to let you figure some things out on your own. I think that there's a, a lot to self-discovery. Um, now, high school, like I'm going to cue you, like especially if I haven't been training you, like especially in my, my role, like this is my first year there. Like the high school guys, like I'm, I'm saying cues that also – like you can understand, I got to be good at delivering them because now it's like, all right, your start, you've pretty much developed enough in your movement patterns. Like we got to refine these and I need to give you some cues that are going to help you like actually refine it even more to keep you safe. But with eighth grade, like let there be a little bit of self-discovery. Seventh grade, let there be a lot of self-discovery. They're still trying to learn how to move. Now, if you see some, somebody doing that, something that's just like awful. Like I, I'm intervening immediately, um, especially at seventh grade too. Like if I see some kind of super rounded back, like we're not picking anything up, but if I see like somebody like bend over to touch the floor or something with a super rounded back, I'm correcting you. Um, just to let you know, it's like, we got to fix that. Um, yeah, there's a lot to self-discovery too. Um, but we do have to be really effective at the cues that we teach. Yeah. Self-discovery is something that I've, I've, I've kind of, realize especially with freshmen uh, i guess coming out of eighth grade going into you know the high school setting so like that i think there's some things they have to realize movement wise for themselves you know you can cue them to death you can sit there and put the wedges underneath their heels and you can do everything possible but i think there's a i think there's a gain value for them if they kind of discover some movements like is this right am i supposed to feel this way and it's like, yes, no, here's how you correct it. No, do that. Exactly. You know, I mean, it doesn't have to be anything complicated cue-wise. But I think for freshmen and maybe even a little bit of that sophomore time, because around that sophomore junior time is when you start really kind of maturing into what your body kind of grows in. Because that freshman sophomore year is huge for a, at least developmental-wise. Because, you know, freshmen are, I, I guess, hitting either puberty at that time. and you know, that five foot kid that can look like a twig becomes like this six foot person just out of nowhere. I mean, testosterone is a hell of a drug at this point. And, and I mean, there's some point of self discovery. Like, there's some kids, freshmen that, you know, hit puberty early and then they're six three and they look like Bambi. And then there's little Johnny that's five foot two and doesn't hit puberty till probably junior year. So, I mean, there is a, I think there's game value in self-discovery. Yeah, there definitely is, especially for our athletes. I think, though, that, like, as a strength coach, we also have to be super, like, 
careful with how much like self-discovery we use just from the safety aspect of it. Um, like I don't ever want like administration coming in and being like, why aren't you saying anything to these kids on how they're moving? Just, and then I just be like, Oh, it's self-discovery. Like I'm letting them figure it out. For themselves. Like, no, like there has to be a level of like, we have to figure out what that fine line is for our kids and what it is for us. Like we might have one kid who, you hardly ever have to say anything because they can discover the position for themselves that what makes that position better. But like another kid, like he might need all the cueing in the world. Um, and then you might have the kid who's like a decent mover, but then you give him a cue and it screws him all the way up. Like, okay, like you have to toe the line of how you coach when using like self-discovery as like one of your ways of like letting a student figure it out or a student athlete figure it out. Um, and then also like we have to think about like who we are as strength coaches. And at the end of the day, like we need to coach, like we need to be saying stuff for our kids um, and we need to be correcting them. Um, but yeah, like self-discovery, like I, I think it's, pretty important that we do implement it at least in some capacity um it doesn't have to be huge uh but it doesn't also have to be like small like it, it can be somewhere in between um but yeah absolutely man all right let's go ahead and start wrapping some things up here uh let's go ahead and do conjugate coach spotlight so is there any coach out in the strength and conditioning world that you want to highlight shout out etc Man, which I, I know me and you are friends, but I'm always going to shout you out. Um, but if I had to pick anybody in the state, um, I'm in Georgia currently. Uh, if I pick anybody, it's Ronnie Jankovich. Um, that man cares a whole lot. Um, works really hard. He cares for his kids. Like, if there's anybody that you want to learn from with how to communicate with kids, like, he's the dude. Um, but at the end of the day, like he's a, he's a dude that I think everybody needs to know. He's just a good dude. Um, he's, he's meant a lot to me as well. Um, just kind of a little bit of a mentor. Uh, also got to shout out Ethan Crawford. Um, I know that he's at Madison Academy now with, uh, Cody Hughes. Um, also another guy that cares young, like me and you, um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm just have been super excited for him this whole year um, and the opportunity he has had. Uh, and then I'll, I'll shout out my head strength coach, uh, Dustin Wolf. Um, he's uh, somebody that also really cares for the kids, but displays a lot of leadership and has really taught me how to lead um, and has done just a lot for me in my career. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to shout out all three of those guys. Man, Ronnie is the man, um, you know, from day one that uh, maybe have known him on, you know, social media and get to talk to him and um, a previous Zoom meeting and everything like that, man. I mean, um, he's one of those people that is a man of few words, but the words they use is very impactful. Um, and his actions definitely speak louder than any words that he could ever use. And, uh, you know, he's definitely the man. Uh, big shout out to Ethan, man. I know he's has some um some tribulations and some trials um in his early on in his career as a strength coach and has really prevailed at, at uh Mass Academy and has really excelled there. So big shout out to him and I, I don't know Coach Wolf anyways. Uh he sounds like a great guy. I think he got um on Parker Resources, was it that he got uh a strength coach for Yeah. Yeah. He got he got it for uh 3A um, which is our division um, classification for our sports right now. So, Well, of course, shout out to him. Um, I know some of those awards don't come by easy. So, um, Tucker, again, I want to thank you for, again, taking the time, the second time around to um, <laughs> do this thing, man. I know that uh, schedule crazy and, you know, uh, you're taking your new job. I was taking mine. and just life and football season is hectic and uh, finally had some time to kind of slow down, sit down and uh, um, deliver some heat, man. And thank you, JM. Uh, glad to be on again. Um, 
but yeah, this time, hopefully the audio is good. Um, but yeah, thanks for having me. Of course, man. And that's another episode of the Conjugate Chats. Please follow us on social media at Conjugate Chat Podcast on Twitter and TikTok. Also, follow Tucker on his social medias as well. In the name of strength, stay strong, and have a day today.